0: England shows up in North America, starts settling in Jamestown in 1607. The Mayflower Compact, that goes down in 1620. And we're setting up Constitution in 1639, the Fundamental Orders of Connecticut. By the time the Revolution happens, colonists have been set up in North America for quite some time.
1: Yeah, for quite a while. I mean, in fact, the British had tried initially in Newfoundland, failed. The Roanoke Colony, very famous. Uh, 1607, finally success at Jamestown. And that colony was full of death and death. By 1621, that Mayflower, 150 initially on that ship, uh, 102 arrive, I think 49 die, one born at sea. His name was Oceanus. That compact is is dope. It's uh, like a legitimate agreement to share responsibilities. And that Connecticut Covenant in 1638 think but 1639 uh was unique because it had more of an egalitarian nature and it combined different territories uh different regions under one official government and it also had a very religious sort of uh motivation and um structure to it
0: we've been doing self-governing um for about 150 years by the time all this stuff starts getting started you know that's not your grandpa you know that's your like that's your grandpa's
1: grandpa we always say in jamestown there are no grandparents because they're from like 1607 to 1660 everyone just died but as you progress and move <laughs> towards 1700 normalization comes about you know you fill out the colonies each has its different identity uh, they're unified in weird ways but we have a capacity and an independence and a sovereignty that's very real and very sort of um uh anti-British increasingly by 1700.
0: And England, uh, ever feuding with France, engages in another war with France, which turns into a, an almost a world war with the Seven Years War. The conflict of the Seven Year War in North America is called the French-Indian War.
1: Yeah, I think it's tens of trillions in modern day money. Uh, the English bled their coffers Their mercantilism had built up a war chest that was so formidable, and now they have to defend it across continents. And in seven years, it's pretty much liquefied. And and so, yeah, we talked about that seven years war previously, but it's so monumental relative to, uh, you know, the approaching um, desire of the colonies to seek independence.
0: Now, How did that do for the colonies? Um, They're banning together for this war. Does that create some sort of... um... Some sort of an American feel?
1: Oh, I, I think so completely. I mean, you get commanders like we talked about, like Braddock, that come in and they see these militias that have this, uh, this culture and this community, you know, how they hang out at night around the campfires. You can't discount the, the, um, the Great Awakening, 1730s, 1740s, this first American religious movement that creates this sort of American identity going into that era. And so by the time you get to 1756, 1763, that seven-year period, there's already Americanisms that are evident and that are very counter and odd to the British that fight with us against the French in North America during that time.
0: And the war ends in 1763, and within 20 years, the United States is going to be a thing.
1: Yeah, it's pretty rapid um, movement towards independence after that. But as we spoke about, it's not disconnected. All the money the British spent requires them to put all these taxation measures in place, which requires us to sort of object, you know, in many different ways. And it leads to a conflict, which I always, I always think about as like an 18 year old, 19 year old son versus their father. Um, but it's a very real conflict.
0: Yeah, so dad's dad's imposing his rules right now. Yeah, you know, you're paying he's, rent. He's you got to pay rent. You got to pay. You got to pay the Stamp Act <laughs> in sixty five. Starts off with the Stamp Act anytime. Anytime colonists are doing any sort of transactions that have to do with a paper. Yeah, you know,
1: I mean, so that sugar tax was initial. I think that was um, the year before, and then that Stamp Act in seventeen sixty five. It's actually the first tax that impacts colonists directly. Like previous taxes, you didn't feel immediately, right? So they weren't individualized. They were more like a tariff or a raise in cost for things you would buy. Now, if you buy a newspaper, if you have to get a deed, a will, a bill of sales, um, a deck of playing cards, all of it, suddenly you are paying tax to the British Empire for that stamp. And that stamp as a visual becomes synonymous with tyranny.
0: So does that, does that help um, the average person get behind the war?
1: Those who, those who uh, exercise commercial activity, activity every day. Absolutely. So if you're buying and selling, even on like a daily small scale, you're feeling the impact of this. Now, if I'm in the outer lands, like if I'm on the frontier or if I'm in like the most rural areas, I'm probably not feeling the impact of the stamp tax immediately, but I'm hearing like murmurs of how bad it is.
0: And then we are super upset about this tax. (laughs) We get, uh, we get, we get all O'Reilly of sorts. They take it away, but then they're coming back with the Townshend Acts and that is in 67.
1: Yeah. So the Townshend Acts, uh, named after like the appointed, I don't know what his title was like attache within new England, Boston for the crown. Uh, it includes a bunch of things, things like glass, things like lead, and then probably most prominently that we hear about, it includes tea. Now that in the media sea is not that important, but that portion of the Townsend tax comes back, obviously, to become prominent, um, but it also gets Townsend's ass in some in some hot water within the Boston region.
0: Both kind of goes to the Boston massacre, how media can take an incident. Yeah. And they can take an accident or uh, an isolated situation and totally turn it to like a, a massive call for action, a call for war, call for revolution.
1: Well, I'm going to say, uh, host Mike Templer, you're sounding like a Tory right now. There was nothing accidental about that. All right. <laughs> There's nothing accidental about that. Um As I said before, Christmas Attucks is going to lead this group of disgruntled Bostonians against some redcoats who were complete assholes in Boston in 1770. And it leads to this, you know, confrontation. But you're right, the marketing of the confrontation across the colonies is what's more powerful. And if you remember, it's Paul Revere, uh, the engraver, who creates the um, the imagery of the Boston Massacre that becomes most uh, most marketed in public in the in the colony.
0: So, you're a British soldier, right? You are you are in Boston right now. Now you're holding guns and you got a couple of bros next to you. But this whole crowd is harassing you and throwing stuff at you, some snowballs, some rocks. Things are getting <laughs> wild. It seems uh, like there's a lot of moving parts to that.
1: Yeah, I suspect the tension was high, I get it. Um, the Bostonians came from the tavern, say no more. Um, but there's a tension within Boston at that time. I mean, once the Seven Years War is over, the British installed 10,000 troops in the colonies and essentially 8,000, 9,000 are in Boston. You know, that's a, that's a force that's, that's, that's occupying Boston. So it's a complete foreign force. This was coming sooner or later. There's no question about it. And if I'm those troops that night, I don't know. I don't know what you do, but what they did, you know, ignited something larger.
0: See, you sound like a Bostonian patriot. <laughs> I sound like a John Adams patriot. Oh, Where I'm like, well, oh, well, well, oh, there's still yeah. some due process, gentlemen. Still yeah. some due process. You know what else you
1: sound like? A one-term president, just like his kid. <laughs> just
0: like his kid. So that really turns into um, a hell of a a hell of a war cry, though. You know they're here. There's ten thousand troops in North America. They're shooting people in Boston. Yeah. They're shooting them. Yeah. How many Bostonians died before? Now they're shooting people in New York. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. After the Boston Massacre, seventeen seventy-three, the Boston Tea Party.
1: The Sons of Liberty, led by Sam Adams. Who was renowned for going to the, um, oh, the Green Dragon Tavern in Boston, loading up on ale, and then just running his mouth and trying to get people fired up to do shit. Uh, apparently that day it sounded like a good idea to go to the harbor. Yeah, uh, dressed as Mohawks,
0: broad daylight.
1: Yeah, you know they were so well hidden as Native Americans walking down the streets of Boston. People were like,
0: "Hey, Sam." what's up it's it's that it's that it's that the doctor turns around at the duel right for that deniability for the audience you know what i mean a bunch of indians i don't know (laughs) yeah yeah
1: and so they think it's a good idea to throw a bunch of tea into the harbor uh it amounts to modern day costs of about five and a half million um for the british east indian company the british are irate they closed the port at boston Uh, They initiate the Intolerance Acts, Um, they set in in place the Quebec Act, and so many things come out of that that tea demonstration that really further this war. I mean, interestingly enough, they stole tea in Charleston in South Carolina too, Patriots did, but they sold it and bought guns on the black market.
0: It's uh, it's, it's, uh, just to watch it burn, right? Like how cool the statement is that?
1: Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you what, there were a lot of patriots and colonists that didn't like what Adams did because property was like independent of the struggle with the British. Like it was life, liberty, and the pursuit of property in John Locke's language originally. So there were a lot of patriots that were like, man, that shit wasn't cool. Uh, A lot of people weren't down with that.
0: Right. And that's what you you find kind of as you go deeper into the war. There's different levels of patriots, right? Like there's the people that were Riley from day one, like we got to get this popping, you know, let's just deep, you know? And then there's people all the way down to people who are sympathetic towards the English cause. But once there's a thousand troops in your front lawn, yeah, it becomes very hard to stay neutral, you know?
1: Absolutely. So the British are on the march. They're looking for things. They're looking for caches, supplies of weapons. They're looking for John Hancock. They're looking for Sam Adams. They're looking for agitators. And What's they the get difference,
0: g- though? So there's been military um, presence, you know, in North America, um, even leading up to this conflict. What makes this specific time, this specific thing, what 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 is what is encouraging the Patriots to uh, make that that leap?
1: Well, I sus I suspect it's a command call on the scene, but it's also this crescendo of tension that's evolved and developed. If you're in Massachusetts, in the Boston area in particular, you're facing the brunt of British imperialism in 1775. You know, it's one thing to be in Vermont. It's one thing to be in in Virginia. It's something else to be in Massachusetts, where it's really intense. And so it jumps off that day. I mean, they jumped the British. Uh, I think the British lose like 50 to 70, the Patriots 30 to 40. And Ralph Waldo Emerson calls it the shot heard around the world. I mean, this is an announcement to the most powerful uh, country on the planet that these 13 colonies are suddenly ready to rebel.
0: And things are like totally looking that way. We are looking like we might rebel. Obviously a lot of, not everyone's down for that. Not everyone's excited about this idea, but it seems like it's going around. Um, When they set up the Continental Congress, they're in a situation where they have to be diplomats and generals at the same time because they're not committed to war just just yet. This whole time leading up, they are suing for peace. They're trying to establish some sort of an agreement. Um, But it's building up. Now there's actually a a battle of sorts. And still, they're going to be suing for peace for a little while longer.
1: Yeah, sure. So we're in this year, 1775. And you talked about sort of history's false names or you know, mistakes or just whatever you call it. We call it Bunker Hill in history. It was actually fought on Breeds Hill, uh, which was the hill next door, where the same year, and now the British have decided after Lexington and Concord that that's enough. So they're gonna send force against Boston. So suddenly you get Benedict Arnold rallying his militia. Um, You get Ethan Allen out of Vermont bringing his Green Mountain Boys down into Boston and you have this massive skirmish and fight at Breed's Hill, it becomes Bunker Hill. I mean, what you speak of that suing for peace and that desire to like walk away from it, the olive branch uh, petition it's called, and it happens a little later in the year, but after all of this violence, there are still a lot of colonials, patriots, backslash, who are still trying to inquire with the British, can we figure this out? You know, can we not keep fighting?
0: the war machines set i mean once you're shooting at each other it's really hard to come back from that without any sort of real big my bad sort of uh moments without any sort of backstepping and apologies which did not seem like it was going to happen but then thomas Paine releases common sense um which is a essentially a pamphlet um but the cool thing about common sense is how easy it was to read where people could relate to it, they could read it. Um, as long as they could read, they could kind of read it and understand it. It wasn't so eloquent with its words; it was very simplistic, um, and that kind of puts a spin on it and becomes a huge bestseller, you know. And yes. the rally from the fine folks of the plants, you know, start yes. going that of uh, leading that of war.
1: Yeah, I mean T. Pain, as I like to call him. Uh, T-Pain uh, came over from England you know he starts hanging out with Benjamin Rush uh, some other real sort of futuristic radical thinkers from Philadelphia they love his ideas they're like put them on paper man so he writes his pamphlet it's relatively sh- relatively short but like you said it's written in a language that's meant to communicate to everyday people now mind you that language being read today is pretty euryodidic
0: <laughs> <laughs> It is.
1: yeah Yeah, it sold 150,000 copies and it took fence sitters, you know, those who were not quite sure about the rationale for this war, and it pushed them to the other side. You know, he calls uh, King George the royal brute of England. I mean, that's some real shit talking. He talks about what's a tiny ass island all the way across the Atlantic trying to do ruling this big ass country over here, right? I mean, there's, there's there's some real eloquent shit popping in that. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of people who weren't sure about joining the cause of the revolution, uh, common sense helps to push them over.
0: And later that year, it seems like everyone's pushed over because we declare our independence in the Declaration of Independence later that year, you know, yeah. um, all yep. those individuals essentially uh, signing their own death warrant, you know, if it doesn't go through, these are all rebels. You know, their names are right there. They signed yeah. it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like I mentioned to you earlier, I mean, that's why John Hancock signed so large. Uh, King George is essentially blind. I mean, that's a statement of John Mickey Ficky Hancock right here. Uh, yeah, you signed, you signed like the, the deed of treason uh, when you signed that. Um, issued in uh, July 3rd, 1776, sort of passed in July 4th, 1776. And If you partner that, and I'll just throw this in with Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations, you have three documents around like freedom and egalitarianism in 1776 that are going to go on to foster revolutions around the world.
0: England's not super happy that we declared independence. Um, They're not super happy about any of this. King George is super irate. Like, oh, no, this is, (laughs) no, no, sirs. You will not be going anywhere. Uh, thank you. Um, and after they declare independence, that's where, that's where we're at. We're at war, man. We're at war.
1: When I talk about tail of the tape, the British have a professional army. They have uniforms. It's like if you join a team, you're like, oh, shit, they got uniforms, right? Y'all got uniforms? Nah, we ain't got no uniforms. <laughs> Y'all got food? <laughs> we got little food. We got little food. Not right Right. And so you hit on a big thing though. Uh, I think of it as geographic, like we have home field advantage. The British are playing an away game. If you take the, the 13 colonies and then you add up the geographic territory of France, England, Germany, Spain, Portugal, not even close. So they're fighting across a terrain that's so much more massive than they can conceive. You also have this collection of oddities in uh, the colonies at this time. There's a really interesting Polish presence in the Patriot forces. The Scots-Irish hate the British, hate the British, and they will put in work on a number of levels in this war. You have Germans that will fight with the British, the Hessians, but you have Germans that will fight with the Patriots, us, and then you add black folks, Native Americans into this war. So the tail of the tape is really this kind of, for me, broad look at what resources do both sides have. I mean, one of the ones that's big to me is the British have the most powerful Navy in the world. But we have this formidable, really amazing um, coastal maritime culture where we can take ships that have been sailing to Suriname, Africa, England, put guns on them, defend the coast, understand the riverways, and really give the British fits when it comes to using that big-ass Navy in close quarters along the coast.
0: About 20% of white Americans are going to be loyalists. Yes. About 100,000 of them are going to leave out of the country uh, during at the end of the war.
1: um, Get your shit.
0: Go go to Canada, go to New England, go to the Bahamas, somewhere.
1: Yeah. So many historians call this the first civil war because families will be severed by this war. Uh, Ben Franklin's son will remain a Tory. He won't talk to him anymore. Uh, The Byrd family out of Virginia, they'll split down the middle, you know, brothers fighting brothers. Um, the uh, Iroquois Confederacy, the Haudenosaunee, uh, the Onondaga break away in this war and fight with the Patriots for a number of reasons. Uh, the rest of the, the uh, Confederacy fights with the British. So this is the death of the Iroquois Confederacy uh, during this war as well. And for slaves, it's really complicated. Uh, there's a British Lord from uh, Virginia, his name's uh, Lord Dunmore. And in November of 1775, he issues a proclamation. He says, any slave that runs away to the British lines is free. So, so many black folks are gonna run to the British side for the freedom, right? And then Washington's gonna realize, oh shit, we better figure out if we're gonna use blacks in our armies. Washington is opposed to using blacks in the Continental Army, but blacks fight prolifically throughout the militias during the war. So. I always ask who do black people fight for in this war? Ourselves, we fight for freedom. Any side that says, hey, you wanna be free? Yeah, man, where do I sign up?
0: France is looking at us, you know, they're gonna get involved eventually, but right now they're just checking us out, seeing if we have a chance.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty upset over the seven years war. They lost so much in that war in terms of money and territory. They want revenge on the British. It's not like they've stopped fighting the British. And so they're sitting back. It's like that, that meme where, you know, you got popcorn and you're just watching. You know, you're just watching this and waiting to see what happens and what happened with Saratoga. And once Saratoga took place, uh, the French are like, okay, this looks promising. Let's get involved.
0: What else is going on in the world around that time? Obviously, England and France are getting kind of swallowed up by these ideas. What else is happening?
1: Well, if you look in uh, Africa, you have the Mali Empire, one of the largest empires in the world at the time, from like the 13th century to the 18th century, you know, stretched from like modern day Burkina Faso all the way out to the Sudan, controlled the gold trade, uh, controlled all commerce internally, like they're one of the first empires to encounter real colonialism there. Um, if you go to Japan, you're looking at the Takugawa shogun, towards its later years, but you still got shogunites across the, the islands that are really ruling feudal Japan at that time. Um, I don't think Tom Cruise is there because they probably didn't want him there.
0: He was saw a rat samurai. It,
1: well, I think his rap name is Lil Shogun.
0: <laughs> Lil
1: Shogun. Uh, if you went, if you went to Mexico City um, or Lima in this era, you're going to find these massive palatial cities ruled by Spanish viceroy's that are some of the most commercially active uh, capitalistic cities in the world at the time, while all this is going on to the north and in the backwoods, so seemingly of North
0: America. King George, super mad. So he sends 30,000 troops to hang out in the, the New York Harbor. Yes. Washington is kind of forced to watch this whole deal go down. Yes. Um, nothing he could do about it.
1: No. Um, no, I mean, that's a, that's a huge force. I mean, you might remember shock and awe during Desert Storm. This is shock and awe. I mean, this is sending big ships, tons of people into New York City, which was kind of the, the enclave of commerce and development at the time. Now, Philadelphia is a more Americanized city at this point. Um, New York is really this international hub of excitement, etc. There's already a ton of Brits in there. And so it's symbolic that you come into New York, you bring all these ships, all these men. And the reality is, yeah, the Patriots can't defend New York City from that force. No.
0: And what does that do for opinion? Um, New York City, you're, you're, you live in New York City, you're a New Yorker, you go out and you look outside one day, and there is just this, this waves and waves and waves of troops and boats. How does yeah, that affect morale in the city?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, if you're, if you're sort of a hardcore anti-British, you're going to leave the city. You don't have to go that far to leave the city in this, this time, but more people will stay in the city. And New York City, you know, in 1776-77 is not dissimilar from New York City today in that it is this cornucopia of craziness, kinetic energy, different ethnicities, different languages, commerce, It's shambolic. And so for the British to come in and be able to identify, oh, he's on our side, she's not, Uh, that store's on our side, that store's not, it's impossible. So in the midst of where they've stopped, there are insurgent elements everywhere.
0: George Washington during this time kind of has to, I feel like, constantly reprove that he's the right individual for the job.
1: He's He's a decent commander, both in the Seven Years' War and in the Revolutionary War. Now, arguably, are there better commanders that have a lot more experience? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, But George Washington has uh, connections and a name within the colonies that outweighs some of these other contenders. So, you know, he'll face some early defeats and some real sort of um, difficult years early in this war. I mean, after Saratoga, you know, he's gonna take it on the chin for a couple of years. Uh, trying to figure this out and there's a lot of people within his ranks and subordinates and those that would consider themselves peers who don't have a lot of faith in him
0: right he um he gets threatened maybe that he might be losing his job so he better kind of come up with something quick so uh christmas evening into the next day you know he sneaks up on Trenton. yes and one of his uh crossing the delaware yes super cold that night by the way super yeah absolutely cold on Christmas. wear your wool wear your wool yeah. two people die on the march that's crazy right that, yeah that bottles my mind it's like before the war even happens we're gonna lose some of you gentlemen because of the walk like, yeah you 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 talked about tail of the tape earlier they don't even, even got no shoes
1: no No, dude. I mean, it's it's hardcore. Um, I mean, we don't have the resources of the of the British Army. So to fight in the Continental Army is such a sacrifice. Again, you're not really getting paid. The food is horrible. Um, Yeah. I mean, Trenton's a huge turnaround. A lot of people think that that's like straight out of the book of the art of war, like a Sun Tzu move. Uh, Unexpected at night in the fog, Um, you know, a little bit calculated,
0: a little bit luck right? You and know, a little bit of luck, yeah. A little bit of luck. You know, it's super hard to get across the river, like I was saying. They get there later than they want to. When they get there, the daylight's starting to crack through. They're nervous. Not right. sure if they should just head back or do the thing. But Yes. You know, had to do the thing. They get there, surprise everybody, you know. They, yeah, they were expecting that.
1: I think they encountered some hungover Hessians that morning. <laughs> Trust me, uh, that's a cold-ass war, not just one year, two years, three years. I mean, not to fast forward, but Valley Forge is all about, damn, we got to train in this cold? I mean, it is cold.
0: Um, George Washington starts micromanaging everything, starts controlling everything. Build this this way, build that that way. Public lashings if you don't poop where you're supposed to poop. You pooping over there, bro? (laughs) Wow. Then they bring in, what is the gentleman's name from Prussia?
1: Baron Von Steuben.
0: Von Steuben. He tried to get in various different militaries. He's been
1: an an oddity in history. I mean, he's credited and probably rightly so with being the first person to bring discipline through drilling to the Continental Army. And, you know, that takes place at Valley Forge. But he's also, like I said, a really controversial figure. Um, It's General Lee, who I think is going to come up, who absolutely hates Baron Von Steuben. Um, and he has some sort of backstory and history on the dude from the old country. So, uh, it's definitely an interesting time there. You can't write him out of history, but he is, um, a bizarre, fascinating figure in history.
0: The American dream, right? Like, you know, nothing's working out from in other countries. He immigrates, um, America. Are you good at it? Oh, we don't care what your last name is. Are you good at it? Oh, sweet. And yeah. that's like, that's different.
1: Well, like I said, there's a concoction of groups in this country, in this war who all hate the British. I mean, sort of the, the you know, element X again, our, our black folks, our, our slaves, uh, we are because we are really capable fighters but we're not invested in all in this colonial war. Uh, we're only invested in trying to be free.
0: Most people went to war because it was on the front doorstep and they didn't have a choice.
1: You know, and there are those that would tell you that Washington and others went to war to secure capitalistic control of future markets in a capitalist system that's building rapidly. I mean, they go from they go from colonies to global leaders and financial paragons within ten years. Yep. Colonial main army never reaches more than five thousand but it becomes a, a better command. And so, I mean, you'll talk about guys like um, Nathaniel Green and you know, other commanders, they're using militias with some main soldiers in theaters. I mean, this war is won by militias. Um, that's why the second amendment speaks so directly to, to militias, a lot of these guys have fought. They fought in the Seven Years' War. You know, a guy like Daniel Shays, who will start Shays' Rebellion after the war. He fought in the Seven Years' War. He fought in the Revolutionary War. You know, a lot of these guys fought um, not that long ago. So their military experience is not like through a, an academy or through official training. It's through having actually fought, and then some of them surviving on the frontier against, you know, Native Americans, etc.
0: Yeah, and the frontier will harden you pretty quick. <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> Eventually, England is getting upset that they're not winning it. You know, we're fighting in trees and, and, and shoot, And we're not afraid yeah. to leave and, and, and fight another day. So England thinks, you know where they love us? They love us down south. They, they love us. If you look
1: at those 13 colonies, the only one that is completely supported by crown money, by English money, is Georgia. So Georgia's entire budget is from the crown. So the British enter through Savannah because it's full of Tories. It's not an invasion, it's a welcoming. And then they try to figure out how to how to make our way north. The further north you go, the more confrontation you're going to face and resistance you're going to face. So that southern expedition is really successful at first. I think they capture 5000 troops at Charleston uh 1780 sticks in my head And so they have real momentum after entering Savannah and trying the Southern campaign after Saratoga failed so miserably.
0: But then uh, Green kind of shows up to the scene, General Green.
1: Yeah, yeah, Nathaniel Green's a bad, he's a bad dude. Um, He's also called the savior of the South. Uh, I would add to that Francis Marion. Uh, Francis Marion is known as a Swamp Fox. So when you talk about like these odd tactics and fog appearing, well, Francis Marion will come out of the, you know, the Virginia swamps on these night raids, uh, raiding supply lines, You know, all those sort of really you know, intellectual guerrilla tactics and just stymie the British. They're too stretched out. Again, they don't realize how much territory they're dealing with in North America. Guys like Green and Marion really know the terrain. They understand it. They use local militias, you know, some Native Americans and frustrate the hell out of the British.
0: Yeah, they're just going to pull them right along. You know, there's yes. going to be a couple thousand compared to like a giant regiment in Britain, you know, English yes. troops. And they're just going to bob and weave through all the different types of terrains and swamps and forests. And these, the British is going to pull their entire, their entire armies into these these, these swamps. Yes. And just kind of, get picked off on the side, straggler gets picked off here and there. Yep. Small little skirmish here. Just totally avoiding any sort of real head on fight because they're going to lose and just diving totally deep into the guerrilla tactic, which really won the war for us.
1: Oh, it's, I mean, it's brilliant and it's, uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Um, and And it works, it works well in the South. And so, I mean, you have Cornwallis who has a pretty massive force and doesn't know what to do with it. You know, what do I do with all these troops? I can't find anybody to really fight. Uh, all I'm finding are these small, you know, interruptions and skirmishes. And like I said, the, the supply lines, like cutting off supply lines, you know, stealing materials, etc. That becomes like a big, a big portion of this war in the South.
0: Yeah, because if, if you can't feed your troops, you don't have any troops.
1: The further you go, you know, you're, you're moving out of Georgia. You don't have as many loyalists now that you can turn to for information, for food, for shelter, etc., and stretches you out
0: now most of the most of these people want to stay neutral but now as all these forces go deeper and deeper and deeper it becomes way harder to avoid taking a side and then english troops need supplies they're going to raid kitchens they're going to raid homes and neighborhoods and things like that and it doesn't matter how much your support king george if Francis, the British soldier, is in your house right now stealing your food. Right. You know, you're, you've done switched sides.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It becomes intimate fast.
0: America wasn't really into paying their soldiers. It's hard. We couldn't tax yet, right? We weren't even a nation yet. We were just a group of colonies, right? Right. So now we need to fund this war, and we can't even impose a tax. So everything's kind of like volunteer hey, can you please give us some cloth? We need some of this. We need blankets. So it's yeah. really uh, a stockpile of a bunch of volunteers.
1: Oh, completely. I mean, and then, I mean, you have some wealthy families, principalities, you know, regions of the country that believe in the conflict and are going to invest. But overall, you just don't have the, the financial or material resources to support a war which is why it's so important to get France and Spain involved.
0: You're a loyalist in this scenario, bro. Why are you a loyalist? Top five reasons.
1: Uh, I get a paycheck. Uh, I get one meal a day. Uh, If I'm, if I'm black, I get to kill my former slave owner. Nice. Um, (laughs) The British have cooler uniforms and eventually I'm going to learn how to speak with that dope ass accent. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you like them uh them red jackets right
1: oh god yeah dude this is hot
0: <laughs> i like that colonial blue but you
1: had all right trying. so what's your what's your top five reasons to be a, a patriot
0: all right so i i said independence but that was like my number five right because that's like the last thing on my mind right okay that's the last thing on my mind uh four i said autonomy because i do want to be able to control what i'm doing um uh, number three is uh, i've never been to england so why am I listening to these guys? Uh, number uh, two is uh, there's a thousand British troops in my yard. And uh, number one is my immediate safety. Because I have a feeling that if I said I was a loyalist, my buddies might kill me. At least yeah. guitar and feather action since I'm in the Northeast and I just can't be happy.
1: Yeah, dude, that's precarious. Yeah. I mean, the last one's precarious. Yeah, I mean, but what if your best buddy was like, Dude, I respect that, but I'm really going Tory. You want to go out next Friday and drink?
0: I don't care if you <laughs> vote. You can vote for Pete George. That's your that's your business. But since we were so broke, we were super happy when France showed up.
1: Yeah, France showed up with all that silk and brocade and that fancy words and croissants uh, and uh, money, right? And money yeah. and money. Yeah, and-
0: don't underhand the croissant because I am guessing that these soldiers were in dire need of croissants.
1: Listen, if I'm a if I'm a Patriot soldier and they bring some croissants, I'm I'm budging in line. I am budging in line. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the, the French get involved in no small part due to uh, Ben Franklin's diplomacy, along with John Adams. So when Franklin goes over there, it's pretty dope, though. He's wearing a Martin hat. And like a linen suit.
0: Like it's so so, beaver hat.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a Martin. Yeah. It's a furred animal, like a pine martin. Uh, and you know, the French have the fanciest fabrics in the world, and so they look at this dude who's dressed like a you know simple Quaker and they're like rock star, rock star. I mean, they love Franklin, yeah. So the women in
0: France start dressing their hair to look like a pelt on their head. I mean, how often? Awesome yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna say he was exactly over there um, practicing diplomacy every day. So when Adams, when, when Adams gets there, Adams is like, he rolls in and Franklin's like, it's like one in the afternoon, he's asleep, there's women laying all over. He's like, I thought you were over here trying to get us money, dude, what are you doing? And so I'm gonna stick up for Adams because when Adams got there, he's like, okay, man, I understand you've made relationships. Now can we develop those?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, people weren't having that in France. They wanted to be hearing this dude talk all stern at him. Oh what John
1: Adams, John Adams is John Adams. You know, there's a quote like John Adams' friends didn't even like him that much. He's just John Adams.
0: So he's like, hey guys. Can we get some troops? Can we get some gold? Can you just please say that we're a real country?
1: Yeah, and the French have every motivation to join in. Uh, We haven't talked about it, but I'm gonna throw them in. Spain is providing quite a bit of money and guns as well. There's also a Spanish commander who fights out in New Orleans. His name is Galvez, G-A-L-V-E-Z. And he's given the British fits all throughout that theater. Uh, with Spanish troops on behalf of, of the Patriots. And so we get that infusion of cash and resources from Spain and France. And that's a big injection of like energy and, and hope at that time. Uh, we get some troops. The Marquis de Lafayette is the most famous, uh, the fighting gamecock, uh, as he's known. And,
0: uh, so you know, he's a young game.
1: Oh, uh, it's a hell of a name. It's a hell of a name. Um, And you know, he's a young kid from a royal family. For him, it's all about like participating in this war. And you know, the French have a major impact. Do we still win this war without France? I think so, I do. But do we win this war as fast without France? I don't think so.
0: So then we win Saratoga and the whole world's like, ah, that's pretty cool. These guys might actually pull through on this one.
1: Once that word travels around the world, the French are pretty anxious along with others to invest in the idea of an independent America. We needed we needed cash, some logistical support. And then in the end, we needed um, you know some
0: big ships. So we, need a, we need a navy, buddy. We need a yep. navy. And yep. then they did they show up at Yorktown. Yorktown's a peninsula, and the reason yes. why a peninsula is a bad idea to put your army is it becomes very hard to retreat from a peninsula if you need to. Um, so. As they chill on the tip of this peninsula, uh, the French Navy starts showing up. And George Washington's like, grab everybody and let's go. Grab them, let's go. Grab your army, let's go. Grab your militia, let's go. Bring that dog, let's go to
1: Yorktown.
0: <laughs> he rolls his yeah. entire force to Yorktown. France also has the front line in Yorktown. Yeah, They cover it up. You cannot yep. leave Yorktown now. And nope. Cornwallis is pretty nervous. Cornwallis
1: actually believes those are British ships coming over the horizon. He pre- he's pretty sure that that's a Dunkirk. Like that's an evacuation.
0: He was writing um, to his superior Clinton saying, hey, I don't think I'm in a good spot right now. I yes. would really appreciate it if you showed up to give us a hand.
1: Well, again, there was a lot of espionage and misinformation being passed through British channels within New York City in that time, a ton of it. And a a lot of the rationale or reasoning for why he got stranded there and the French were able to show up had to do with uh, false information passed through British lines by Washington espionage.
0: Colonialism sounds tough.
1: (laughs) Well, the British had 53 colonies in the New World. We were just 13. Right,
0: <laughs> Cornwallis surrenders, but Cornwallis doesn't surrender because Cornwallis is a punk. Ten thousand soldiers put their troops right in uh, their guns right in front of George Washington. General Cornwallis is hiding somewhere.
1: Yeah, it's not a real proud way to go out.
0: It's not. It's black. Terrible.
1: Boom. Yeah, Boom. definitely Cornwall. embarrassed. Um, one of the one of the cool side notes there, like Alexander Hamilton wanted to fight. His entire life and prove himself in that war. And Washington was like, man, your brain is far too valuable to risk getting hit by a musket marble. And so he actually lets him come to uh, Yorktown. It's like the happiest day of his war life.
0: <laughs> you know who else he let come to Yorktown? It was Martha Washington's son. Oh, really? He got fever and camp and died.
1: Well, that was a bad choice. A bad call. That was, a, that was a bad call.
0: Give me a hero of the war. Give me a villain of the war.
1: Uh, so my hero is a dude they called Tyson. He was a black Tory from New Jersey. The, they called him Colonel Ty. He was owned by a Quaker who was really hard with the lash. Used to beat him a lot. He was only like 20 years old. And so when Dunmar's proclamation drops, Ty runs to New York City to join the British, They give him a small force, some orders, and he raises hell in New Jersey amongst patriots in that state. Um, You can't give an official title to a non-Brit, but Colonel Ty Ty was a bad dude. Again, I'm speaking from the black perspective. My villain in this war, uh, uh, Colonel Banastre, who was sort of in charge of British forces in the South, depicted in the movie, The Patriot, Uh, he was renowned for torturing uh, captives and civilians, and really kind of brought a lot of uh, patriots in the South to the cause because of his conduct.
0: About two years after Yorktown, we're finally getting peace negotiations. Um, what's really cool is how hard John Adams and all those people worked to make sure that other countries recognize their Declaration of Independence. They recognize that we are our own nation. They also kicked France out of the negotiation process as well.
1: I think the French thought that they were going to be the new colonial administrators of the colonies. I think that was their intention.
0: They certainly wanted some sort of benefit out of it.
1: Well, listen, man, I gave you some. What are you going to give me? And so when they get shut out of that treaty, they're not happy about that at all. And that leads to further issues down the road. war, baby. Well, yeah, I mean, the XYZ affair is is like completely all about that. The French are bitter after that treaty. The English are bitter because we beat them. And then after you get out of this war, in Washington's administration, Adams' administration, the French and the English hate us.
0: USA. <laughs> USA.
1: <laughs>
0: I think that's a wrap, sir. All right, man. Listen, until next time. If April showers bring Mayflowers. What do Mayflowers bring? Pilgrims. Pilgrims.